Okay, good morning and welcome to another New Energy podcast with Charlie Ratton and myself, John Massey. Um, today we thought we'd talk, well, Charlie mainly thought we'd talk about um, Wave and Tidal, which I have to say is something that I, I did follow and was fairly up to date with um, a few years ago, but it's kind of dropped off the radar a little bit. So, so Charlie, um, probably if you introduce why you think we should be talking about it um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we get on. Yeah, good. Uh, good morning, uh, everybody. <clears throat> yeah, it's um, it's one that, uh, as you indicate, John, that uh, has dropped up off the radar uh, a little bit. It was all the rage uh, a few years ago. I think we discussed uh, things uh, on one of our previous podcasts about energy from waste and how that had dropped under the uh, under the radar. Uh, energy from waste is still happening. Uh, projects are still being uh, going through financial close and they're still being uh, built out. I suspect that's not necessarily the case with um, with Wave and Tidal. Uh, when I started at SSE back in uh, 2011, we had quite a big marine team, and uh, part of that marine team was Wave, and a part of uh, the marine team was uh, uh, Tidal, and we had a whole heap of uh, tech. It's not all the same. It's a very different tech, uh, but we had a whole heap of tech, and we um, I think the assumption was that it would work in parallel pretty much with our offshore wind portfolio, of which I was a, as a project manager for an offshore farm, and we were liaised pretty closely throughout with the, with the, with the system marine team. So um, why did it not happen? I suppose a few things uh, spring uh, to mind, uh, John. One uh, is it, it doesn't come cheap, um, yeah. the, <laughs> which is always always concentrates people's minds. Secondly, um, it, 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 it has to be vastly over-engineered. Uh, certainly if you go off the coast of Scotland, uh, you're facing severe uh, conditions, marine, the marine environment, which is difficult enough. And, and anybody knows that mixing uh, water with electricity is not necessarily uh, a good idea or easy, as, as offshore wind has, has found. But offshore wind has overcome that. Uh, but offshore wind, uh, offshore marine and offshore wind and tidal, so it has to be vastly over-engineered. And uh, it, it's very costly up front. And the upfront thing is also uh, crucial. At one stage, I think, I think they had five rocks uh, for for uh, tidal energy at one stage, which is, is absolutely astronomical in comparison to what some of the support uh, mechanisms uh, were for it. Uh, but um, uh, rocks were only paid out on, on generation, and, and, and that perhaps is the problem as well, in that um, it's very nice to have a nice conceptual drawing on a piece of paper. It's very different to go from a port in a marine environment with all the conditions and the sea swell with, uh, with, the, with the device and your electricity uh, hookup and make a viable project uh, from it. And, and, and to be honest, I think um, it, it's, it's, it's fallen away for good reason. It's very expensive and it's, it takes a lot of upfront uh, costs. It's difficult. And I wonder whether also, um, because of the success of offshore wind, whether uh, renewables are cannibalising, uh, other renewables are cannibalising the renewables market. And so some developers might say, well, why would I go for an offshore tidal or an offshore uh, a wave device when I can uh, put an offshore wind farm uh, that is, is, is mature and we know it and it works and it'll pay. So that's my suspicion. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, a few a couple of things you raised there. I guess one for our non-UK listeners, a ROC is a renewable obligation certificate. It's like a renewable energy certificate. Um, and as, as you say, the idea was that whereas normally um, you <coughs> a, a clean project, when we used to have 
um, rocks. We work on feed-in tariffs and contracts for difference these days. Um, but when when we were operating a, a rock system, you got one rock, one certificate for each um, megawatt hour you generated. But as you say, um, Wave and Tidal were being offered five, so potentially a, a large amount of revenue, um, but to cover a large amount of cost. And as you say, I think the reason it was so costly is is exactly what you had identified. It has to be so vastly over-engineered. Um, I know that in with wind turbines you'll you'll see when you look at the specs for the wind turbines they have these um specs about when the when the wind turbine is going to shut off a certain wind speed but then they also have these things about sort of the statistical kind of survivable wind speeds and the kind of 10-year wind speeds 20-year wind speeds the kind of highest you're likely to get over a certain time period um and the same is absolutely true i know of wave you have um statistics about on average the sea might be kind of bobbing up and down gently <clears throat> on a on a good day the wave height might be i don't know a meter or two um but then you'll have these statistics about every five years you have a 10 meter wave every <clears throat> 20 years you have a 15 meter wave or whatever it may be um and obviously water packs a lot more punch than air um, so the the problem is you build something that's optimized for bobbing up and down on a normal day, generating power. But if in five years' time a, a wave kind of three or four times the height comes through, that's just going to smash your device to pieces. And I remember there was a a wave device off the coast of Australia where exactly that happened. They were it was an experimental one um, that they built. It they'd been bobbing around for about a year, I think, and then it got smashed um, by a wave that came through there. So they built a, a bigger stronger one for the next generation of um of design so i think that's a big problem for wave and more so than it is for for something like wind is simply because water is so much so much more powerful than air when it's moving at pace um if you have one of these if you have kind of beyond the average conditions the the structural issue is so much bigger so so yeah i think i think that's a problem for wave is how do you how do you cope with that? How do you how do you design something that is going to be efficient under normal conditions, but isn't going to fall to bit um, once you get to um, abnormal conditions? Um, yeah. The thing yeah. I wave was there was the the debate about whether it should be offshore. So there was like the Palamis, the kind of snake metal snake thing that bobbed around offshore, um, or whether and there was one up in Orkney that had been around for years. It was about fifty kilowatts, I think. Whether it's one of these turbines which is actually onshore, where the the waves kind of rushing into the shore push air up a tube and and spin a little turbine. Um, so there were an offshore. There were there were a whole bunch of designs and kind of these, as I say, the kind of metal tubes flexing onshore there were pistons that bob up and down with a floating bit on the surface there were kind of flaps that sat under the surface and it was one of them called the oyster or something that was another scottish design so there was a whole bunch of designs and and they were all <clears throat> it was all trying to overcome this kind of well where's the best place to put it how do you balance efficiency versus cost and so on um and yeah i'm I think I think the kind of the world has moved on a bit, and as far as I'm aware, um, none of those have really gone anywhere. Yeah, quite a lot in there, John. Uh, uh, I do recall that uh, that one that you mentioned, which wasn't actually Orton, it was on Isla. It was at uh, near Port Narvon on uh, on Isla. That one where the air rushed in and uh, pushed the air up a up a tube. So it's it used the, the the forces of waves to push like a piston thing. Strange beast it was. It made a certain uh, a racket. Actually, anecdotally, it was on the same piece of land I'd hoped to put a met mast for the offshore wind farm uh, for Isla. We'd hoped to uh, get it that kind of uh, 
area which wasn't uh, wasn't to be for various reasons but the uh, problem with that one one of the problems with it was that uh, it wasn't really scalable and that's not really of interest to utilities it's more of a boutique type of sideline but quite a lot of um, things on, uh, that you mentioned in in, in uh, regard ironically these device devices are combating climate change but these every 200 every 500 year events which the stakeholders want and, and quite rightly they demand that you design in something that's not going to fall to bits so they want something that will withstand a 500 year event but the problem was we would we were discovering that these 500 year events were happening every other year in, in scotland the, the climate is so severe i was a pm of, of the isla show wind farm we had 127 mile and our winds off of isla uh, quite why that wasn't designated a hurricane I'm, I'm not quite sure anywhere else it would have been but uh, the people of isla very resilient and they battened down even though the roofs were getting ripped off and shards of metal were flying around the island it was lethal uh, but because it was uh, a, a culture that's used to hunkering down if you like they didn't make a big fuss and, and, and they got on with it but that's how severe uh, the west coast of, uh, of Scotland is so if your engineering isn't robust uh, it's not going to last uh, as, as you indicated very long the sea snake I also remember that was uh, Eon were behind that I remember it sitting in Edinburgh off Leith um, I think for quite a big device, it was a series like of tubes lying on the uh, surface, it seems to recall. Um, and I don't think it produced the greatest amount of, uh, of power for the amount of effort uh, that it took to, uh, to build the thing. Obviously, Eon have pulled out of it, which indicates it didn't go terribly well. I know they were looking off coast, uh, the coast of Wales and elsewhere to deploy it. And which yeah, me they, um, I mean, just to go back to that one, uh, Palomis, I remember, was the name. Yeah. The, the, there was a company, Palomas. I don't know if Eon had a stake in them. They did. They, I think the the biggest one I remember they deployed was off Portugal. So they had one off Portugal for about a year or two years, and it was about I think it was about five megawatts. It was it was a, a few megawatts, um, and I mean it it, it performed. I th eventually, they ran out of money. I think um, to to keep it going. So so yeah, it did. It was. Um, it, I mean, it worked, but. It was it was the tubes flexing against each other, and there was a kind of there was a hinge which somehow turned the kind of hydraulics of the hinge into electricity by some some black magic technique that presumably was where the patent lived. So I'm I'm guessing it's one of those country companies where the the patent is probably still floating around somewhere, but the <coughs> the, the specific um, device probably isn't. Um, as, as far as I'm aware, it, I may be wrong. Someone may call yeah, it literally, literally so, floating it. <laughs> <laughs> literally floating about as, yeah. as well of course um, given the fact that we've indicated that this tech both wave and tidal which are very different and they need different resources why do yeah, you think, I think we need to come back to tidal I've been yeah, talking about wave really so yeah far. why do you think there's still such a big push then for them is it, is it because of the, disc the apparently discrete nature people look at wind turbines which are 300 350 meters an hour being mentioned and that is a third of a kilometer in height and you can see these are massive mega structures so i can see if you were like an island economy and you think oh it's out of sight out of mind we'll just stick it under the sea and it'll bob around under there perhaps a little bit on top of the sea and it'll unobtrusively bob around and generators a lot of electricity and a lot of profit do you think that's the driver for, for, for why people seem to still favor tidal and wave over over offshore wind uh well to be honest, I, I haven't seen much of a push for it, which is why I kind of not, <laughs> I kind of stopped following it to a large extent. I mean, I think that you raised a few things. One, uh, one issue was was kind of scalability. Um, as you, I think you're right. The onshore, uh, onshore designs. I think 
because they're customized to a specific um, location, it's hard to do that mass production thing, which we've seen is what reduced costs in, in renewable technology. Um, potentially with an offshore wave device, you could you could it could just be a modular manufacturing thing. But I just yeah, the the costs and the and the performance and all the other factors, money just went elsewhere. So to be honest with wave, I've not. I mean, I've not really seen much push for it. And that's not to say there aren't still people um, playing around with it. Um, but if you look at, I've not seen any kind of forecast that has it as anything but a very, very niche player. Um, there might be some specific situations like um, islands and so on, um, where electricity is expensive anyway, because it's all kind of imported fuel, uh, where these kind of things might make sense. Um, tidal, I guess, is slightly, I would separate tidal from wave, the the completely different things different completely different resource um one of the issues with tidal has always been that i mean there are parts of the world where tidal is not not a resource anyway so you need a certain amount of tidal range um the uk is one of the areas where we have a reasonable tidal range there's other specific areas like well i mean northern europe not just the uk but um the <clears throat> northeast of canada um has a big tide southeast well southeast of canada northeast us big tidal range korea so there's a few places where it's it's potentially a significant resource um and i guess with tidal there's a bit of tidal around that's been around for years that there's two ways of doing it of course there's the tidal barrage where you collect the high tide behind a, effectively a dam a wall and then you when the, the tide drops on the other side, you drop it and it becomes a hydro scheme. So that, that's been around. There's one in northern France that's been around for decades. Um, and that's what, which I'm sure you'll mention shortly, was the Swansea Bay type um, arrangement. Now that was a lagoon rather than a barrage, but it's the same principle. Trap high tide behind a wall and then drop it down when when the tar when the water level on the other side drops um and then the other one that floated around for okay I keep using the word floated around the other one that was around for a while um which again i've seen very little of since was the tidal stream technology which was like effectively they call it the wind turbines but attached to the seabed so turbines that were using the tide the movement of the tide the rushing in and out um and there was a project in northern ireland test facility in northern ireland where they were doing that there was talk of some big projects in korea south korea i remember i remember looking at tidal stream again i'm not i've not followed those as to whether they've they've gone anywhere but yeah. again i think with tidal you've got to separate out the the kind of barrage lagoon thing from the tidal stream side of it yeah quite a lot in there once again uh, john uh, the the tidal stream one there was a consented site between uh, jura and uh, obviously Isla, which I spent a lot of time on, and I was uh, I was monitoring that one. It was, it was consented. They had Hammerfest uh, turbines lined up, uh, but it's not being built out, so mm. it indicates that something's not quite uh, adding up on that uh, on that project. Uh, the, there was another type of DP energy scheme off uh, again off uh, off Isla on uh, out to open sea, and they wanted to, uh, to to link that in with our offshore wind farm, uh, which. Uh, doesn't necessarily go down well with project boards when you've just pulled out of that same tech for a very good reason at the time and didn't help the uh, uh, the project at, uh, at that time. I'm not quite sure what's happened with that uh, scheme. We were both in Canada last year, weren't we? And we did hear about the Bear Fundy, uh, the good tidal resource there. I don't know where that one's at. I know that uh, people are still probing away, it, away at it. And there's quite a good uh, tidal resource also around some of the Channel Isles and as, as well. But it is still out there. And... I suppose one of the reasons for um, for mooting this, if you like, as as, as a subject for our, our chinwag is 
at uh, Liverpool Bay, uh, the Mersey. Now, I think what they want to do is take a few lessons learned from uh, from Swansea Bay. Swansea Bay, I think, gained consent, uh, and I think the pro- problem was that uh, it was it was the buildability aspects rather than the the consenting aspect. Uh, it went to review, didn't it, with uh, with Hendry? It went to a Hendry review, who said it was actually a good scheme, and I think uh, recommended it uh, it be built. Uh, but it fell foul of our this thing that we keep banging on about is the falling costs of uh, of offshore wind. And I think uh, Greg uh, Clark, the uh, the energy minister at the time, uh, said, "Well, why would we build this out at X Y Z pound per megawatt when falling uh, when offshore wind, and I think offshore wind at the time was sixty seven pounds." Uh, and that's fallen since. So why would we build build this out and support it? And I think um, Swansea Bay wanted something like the the, the Hinkley kind of uh, of CFD figure. Oh, it was uh, more and, than that. It was yeah. some enormous amount. It was like three hundred pounds per megawatt hour or something insane. So I don't. I, yeah, the, without government support, there was no way they'd ever get it financed. And as you say, why would the government support something at such a high price when? They've seen offshore wind and, and other things at a way, way lower price. I've just seen this morning that Boris Johnson and uh, has just announced a 40 gigawatt uh, target for uh, for offshore wind. Uh, so it's slightly counterintuitive, that, because we've been on the beat, if you like, with the Whitnash um, uh, reviews that we've attended and the oil energy and people are talking about 30 gigawatts by 2030. And there's a Conservative Prime Minister, very business-driven, raising it by almost another third to 40 gigawatts. And that's the way it is at the moment. So if you've got a, a tidal scheme, and I'm, I'm not sure the various pots of CFD, you're probably more up to speed on, on, on than I on which pot goes where. But I suppose if you're a wind developer, you'd say, well, why would you book it a load of money to uh, a very expensive tech uh, when you've got something that works, that you've got a supply chain, you've got jobs, you've got a sector deal. Uh, and, and that will beat your hands down on, on, on cost as well. Yeah, well, I mean, they're in the same pot as offshore wind, I think, still. They've, they've not changed the pots um, from previously. So it used to be that pot one was what they what they regarded as kind of established technologies, solar and wind, and then pot two was emerging technologies, um, which at the time, offshore wind was part of that, and, and tidal and wave were in the same pot now. I mean, you'd argue now that offshore wind is, <laughs> is not really a, an emerging technology, um, but I think the last time they had, when we, we did our podcast about the, the CFD recently, the offshore wind um, had very, very low prices. Along with a few other, there were a few other schemes in there. There was um, some energy from waste um, schemes in there as well, um, which again you could argue um, emerging technology. I mean, in, in theory, I don't think there's anything to stop tidal and, and wind, sorry, tidal and wave developers bidding in that same auction. But the fact is, they can't obviously can't bid anywhere near that low. So um, I think so. From a policy point of view, I don't. It's not going to get anywhere from a for me as a financial as an investable opportunity um, unless it's separated out from a policy perspective and given specific subsidy or specific support um, and it's hard to know why you would do that certainly with wave because you cannot i mean wave resource effectively is is driven by the wind resource so um, you still have variability it's kind of a smoothed out version of the variability of wind but why would you massively subsidize a another kind of variable resource tidal you could argue is a bit more predictable 
Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's generating at the time you want it to. It depends on high and low tides, but at least you can predict for years ahead, looking at tide tables, when it will be um, generating and you can plan around it. And also, depending on your design, if it's a barrage scheme, um, there are some things you can do in terms of um, sort of storage. You, you don't have to. You don't have to drop from high the high tide to low tide um, at a specific point in time. You could store water in the barrage, and I've seen designs where they actually have separate sort of <clears throat> the 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 lagoon or the barrage is kind of set up so that you can actually have different um, different levels that you can you can have sort of water held back in one bit, and then and so you can sort of build in an element of kind of dispatchability to that. So. So again, yeah. if, I, if I was looking at the two, I would say potentially tidal has has some advantages from a kind of market integration point of view, um, but it has a it still has a big issue with price. And the other problem compared to things like offshore wind and solar and so on is because the resource is only is only relevant in in a much smaller part of the globe globally you just you've just not got the same mass scale that you've got with with wind and solar so again it's hard to see how those costs will necessarily drive down i mean plus the fact it's basically a it's a construction project it's it's concrete and steel so why it, it, you've got none of this kind of modularity um existing to be able to do that yeah well, there's quite a lot in there uh, john and i think you're quite close to uh, what actually might be uh happening in uh, in Liverpool Bay as as you know I'm involved with the Liverpool city region uh, people and what they've been doing is been looking at a tidal barrage uh, across from uh, from Liverpool across to part of uh, of Birken uh, Birkenhead but I think there's a we, we talked about hybrid um projects haven't we in various podcasts and I wonder whether these might be the uh, the drivers obviously construction uh, isn't bad if you are a construction company and you're in a supply chain uh, and you want to be uh, constructing uh, but also it might tie in uh, looking at the northwest with these things like uh, high net hydrogen networks not all of it renewable uh, but uh, there's, there's carbon capture and, uh, and storage and then lo and behold there's a, a barrage going across from uh, dingle to uh, to Tranmere yeah. being being mooted and i think the idea is that we look we want to look at Swansea Bay, as a start, these tidal barriers are not new. They've been thought about for a hundred years in in Merseyside, and um, it's picking through the previous schemes, uh, seeing uh, what what worked well and what worked less well, uh, cropping out the cost. Of course, I think uh, Swansea Bay had all kinds of bells and whistles to appease uh, various stakeholders on it, but um, they're all involved cost for, for for a developer. Perhaps that could be stripped out, uh, and then see it as part of an integrated. Hydrogen comes CCS, come business development, come supply chain, come tidal barrage uh, type of thing. Obviously, four or five interfaces in there and four or five possible points of failure as well. Uh, even with all of that on the business case, uh, it's difficult to see how that could be done without some kind of support. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, a couple of things you mentioned there. One, we've talked in the past about hybrids. I guess if there was one place where potentially wave technology could make sense it's it's stuck on a offshore wind turbine um we know that with offshore wind turbines one of the one of the issues is for things like maintenance and so on is that we build them in windy places and so one of the challenges is how do you land people on the on the turbine to do maintenance when the wave height is is quite big and so you have these ships with the kind of dynamic platforms to allow people to kind of walk onto the turbine so we've we spent we spent quite a lot of thought and effort of coping with um, 
with wavy conditions at offshore wind farms. So and potentially the other thing to look at that is as an opportunity. So also then you don't have to, you've not got separate costs. It's all the usual stuff. You've not got separate costs for grid connection and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that, that's that's potentially worth looking at is whether there are, whether you can start to integrate um offshore wind with with some wave generation as well around the around the, yeah, the base it, of that turbine you're spot, um, you're spot on those i'm sorry to interrupt you but that's exactly what we did on uh, on i left after these 127 mile an hour winds and 14 meter waves that concentrated a few mines obviously you'd have to bring any vessels back into a very safe anchorage and think uh, ahead and, and including your construction timetable and one uh, tech that we came across was a, a thing that was going through testing and it was called i think something like floating power plant or something like that and it was actually a combination of uh, of, 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 of a kind of wave device uh, with a wind turbine at the time they were testing it with uh, two two megawatt turbine on top and a nice generating flow uh, from a turbine underneath but the real beauty and I think you've hit nail on the head here was that it calmed the water behind it and it gave you safe anchorage now that even if you just integrate a few of those onto an extant offshore wind farm you might find that you've solved some of the problems relating to uh, to, to your nearest port and, and uh, saving a whole heap of problems regarding steaming time and vessels and health and safety uh, and that has kicked on that that, that tech is still is still out there it's still googleable i think they're called fl floating power plants we uh, we got quite good discussions with them at the time uh, and we looked whether that it would work with some of the uh, some of the wider aspirations on the west coast of uh, of Scotland, so that hybrid, which, as you say, um, would not require two lots of cabling. You could do it with one. You'd get more efficient use of out of it, and would give you real tangible health and safety benefits. Might be one of the ways that uh, wave, in particular, might uh, might flourish. It is the same resource, waves and wind. Obviously, you can imagine uh, are pretty pretty similar, uh, and, and it might be that uh, I wonder whether a way forward might be for for uh, a wave uh, uh, to be integrated into offshore wind. Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the one of the economic and technical issues would be whether it's worth it in terms of how much you generate. Because my, I mean, obviously now we're talking about having ten or twelve gigawatts of wind turbine sitting on top of a, a platform. Um, now I suspect, thinking about the size of, for example, if we just take that Palomis, the kind of snake um, design. I mean, that was that was a a few hundred meters i think to only generate a few a few megawatts of power so i mean you might find that good though it sounds you're just adding on i don't know a few megawatts of power onto the bottom of a 10 mega 10 gigawatt turbine in which case it's kind of it's trivial it's hardly worth the bother um now whether there's other things you can do like not just have it around the turbine but string wave devices between turbines to do it on a bigger scale who knows but um but yeah i mean i simply raise it as if you were if you're going to try and strip some cost out of out of wave that would be one thing to do it would be the hybrid on the um i mean back to the tidal side of things um i guess one of the the, the swansea one was interesting because it was it was one of these lagoons which is a barrage that instead of going right across a river and, and blocking the river flow it sort of it kind of takes out a, a chunk of the river so the, the river can flow around it and you're sort of just capturing a, a bit of the river um in the mersey examples do you know if they're talking about full barrage all the way across the river or are they talking about this kind of lagoon design because that makes a big big difference to things like the envir environmental 
Impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're dead right. Let's not let's not forget the stakeholders. As I understood it, and it's only been mooted at early stages. It was a straight barrage across at, at a pinch point, and I think it was from Dingle to to Tranmere. Uh, I'll find out perhaps more on on Monday whether it's got uh, traction. This, uh, this this notion. So, it, as I understood it, it was a straight a straight barrage on a narrow point of and a quite predictable point, a quite fast flowing element of the uh, uh, of the river. So we'll see now in the coming days and weeks how much traction has been gained by this project and it's been around as i say for a century that doesn't mean it was always viable for a century and it doesn't mean there was i mean you need an offtake and you need a costing and you need all the other things that you need to uh, to bring to a project we've mentioned the hybrid and the supply chain all these parts of the bigger picture but part of a devolved government and i think you're talking about city regions here is to perhaps seize things like energy. We've got this uh, net zero aspiration. We've got very ambitious uh, targets in both Liverpool, Liverpool City region, and indeed Manchester for for uh, uh, much in advance of the 2050 UK target. We're talking about 2038 in, in, in Greater Manchester, 2040 in, in, in Merseyside, and whether those drivers can f- force forward what I think is a fairly orthodox uh, barrage scheme. I don't recall, and I don't think there's room for the tidal element uh, in that part of of Merseyside, John. Sorry, the the tidal the lagoon element, you mean? Or... Yeah, I don't, I don't I don't think that would work there, but okay. I might stand to be corrected on that as I as I learn more about the uh, the project details. Yeah. I mean, it will depend on all sorts of factors like the the geology and the seabed and the riverbed and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, yeah, no, it'd be interesting to see what see what that is because that that certainly with the seven. Um, they were talking about seven barrage for years, which was um, <clears throat> going to provide. At one point, they were talking about it providing ten percent of the UK's electricity or something. But um, I mean, yeah. it was never going to happen simply because of the um, environmental impact it would have behind the barrage as soon as you stop um, the the flow of water. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see in in the Mersey example what they plan yeah. to do to get around that. Which again, yeah. it's another it's a it's another kind of limiting limiting factor if you like for yeah um what the sites that these things can exist yeah and if you talk to people like english nature and scottish natural heritage that'd be the first question it's very hard to quantify potential benefits because i think what the swansea people said well actually it will be beneficial to uh, to the environment and the and and and, and, and that there'll be various habitat plants and various uh, things built in all very costly of course but um, that's quite scary as well. If you're an existing stakeholder, you've got to preserve, and it's your duty to, even if you privately think uh, uh, that you, there's some merit in, in the proposal. Uh, you're still you're on a bound to protect certain uh, things and, and protect them. Uh, they will. So you'd have to dig into what the species and the birds and the wildfowl and all of that kind of stuff, how it would uh, be detrimental and, and, and beneficial. But it, they'd be in different uh, uh, different areas now. The tidal in, in Merseyside, uh, as I understand it, there's no planning application yet. It's at an early stage of being mooted. But you mentioned earlier that storage might uh, might might indicate uh, progress on, on the financials. Would you, would you like to expand a little bit on that? Um, <laughs> not an enormous amount. Uh. If, if you I were know, to think of, uh, it's not been done. High, yeah, as Yeah, what I was getting at is uh, is our old friend hydrogen again, and whether there might be some scope. To integrate this high net, which I think is uh, is Cheshire and uh, Merseyside as well, with, uh, with 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 the barrage. You mentioned this, uh, what seemed to be like a, a one of the lagoons seemed to do that, but I don't think this is a lagoon scheme, which does leave the question of how do you optimise the uh, the timings 
Uh, how do you shift the time effectively to get a better price? And I wondered whether it's a sister project to Hynet and some of the things emerging on the Cheshire side. Let's think about using some of the Cheshire salt mines for uh, for hydrogen uh, storage. Let's think about um, uh, using the byproduct of ammonia for hydrogen. And can that be tied in? And it seems like a little bit far-fetched from where we are with a, a tidal barrage. Yeah, again, that's in that sense, the tidal barrage is just a source of clean electricity. Um, and so it's going to have to compete as a source of clean electricity with other sources of clean electricity to do the same. So, I mean, from a hydrogen point of view, it doesn't really matter whether it's tidal, wind, solar, whatever. It's um, it's going to be whatever the, the cheapest and um, most accessible source of clean electricity is going to be. So, so you're, you're it may well tie in with that whole um, that whole system um, in providing ex another source of electricity. The question would be again, it's back to the economics: is is what's the cost per megawatt hour going to be of electricity coming out of a out of a scheme like that? Um, and I think that's where for tidal, because there are so many other issues in terms of getting it permitted and planned and, and the cost of it and so on. Um, it's yeah, it's got. I mean, it almost has to be tied in with other benefits somehow, um, and it's often hard to see what what some of those are. I mean, I think in other in other countries where the, there are tidal barrages, I mean, they'll have they'll have roads across them, for example, so they become a kind of piece of infrastructure where effectively it's it's a bridge as well as a barrage. Um, so it's kind of killing two birds with one stone in that respect. Um, I don't know whether there's yeah it's hard to see other other aspects like that where you can you can come up with a, a kind of positive additional benefit that you get from building tidal versus building something else i mean i guess visually i don't know whether the visual impact is is always a kind of subjective thing um they're not they're not 250 meters tall <laughs> so if people don't want if people in the northwest are kind of want clean energy um maybe they're going to start making a choice between having <clears throat> yeah quarter of a kilometer high wind turbines off the coast versus having a tidal barrage across a river which then maybe can also have a roadway across it which saves them driving 30 miles around to um to cross a river so it, it would be yeah. building things like that it would be coming up with a case i would yeah. have thought which isn't yeah. just based on the cost of electricity but has other yeah. other benefits built into it yeah there was one across um uh, Morecambe bay being mooted at one time and i think possibly even on the fouled estuate uh, at some time as well and these have been around a long time and obviously if you were to say well we're going to build a road on top of it it's attractive whether such a, a road to uh, to the south lakes which uh, is not particularly a big center of population up in uh, up in that part of uh, of cumbria which would be the other side of the Morecambe bay bridge across i think it was called bridge across the bay that uh, project which is obviously in abeyance it's not gone very far uh, and, and given these projects falling away it does that sound slightly surprising that people still aspire to such large and i think the liverpool bay one is, is talking about a gigawatt so that's mm. a big big project uh, given the fact that swansea bay has fallen by the wayside and uh, I'm not quite sure where it is perhaps they'll be reviewing parts of it and, and get something out of it out of it there um, and, and then the bridge across the bay that I've mentioned, I think there's one across the files as well. It does strike me as slightly counterintuitive uh, that, that people are still progressing uh, an ideal that, um, uh, that that's not really got there as far as, uh, as tech has gone. There are a couple of other things that emerged 
certainly on tidal that it's very difficult uh, from an ops and maintenance uh, side to do the basics your basic health and safety stuff is very very difficult on some of the uh, the designs uh, these designs of cabling these designs of how cabling attaches to the kit how do you lift the kit off the seabed do you need to keep the cables attached how do you do it all these are the the, the meat and drink if you like of, of, of a major end-to-end -end project uh, but they're sometimes uh, not, not necessarily engaged with in any detail at uh, the conceptual, at the, uh, the prospecting, at the development stage of a project. But when it's serious and you look from it, certainly developers, uh, the utilities will cast the microscope at a very early stage over the end-to-end -end project life. Sometimes Tidal is found a little bit wanting there as well. Yeah, although the other, I guess what Tidal developers will tell you, at least Tidal Barrage Lagoon developers not, necessarily tidal stream developers that the case they will make is that once you built it it's it's there for 100 years or whatever or 100 or, or longer it's not um whereas and they'll compare that to solar panels wind turbines or whatever and talk about 20 25 year life so um in that sense that, i know that's one of the arguments certainly with swansea bay that was being made was you need to look at these as kind of big long-term multi-generational um, assets that you're building um, in the same way that it's the same issue with trying to fund hydro or pumped hydro or those kind of those kind of schemes um, and it needs to be financed and planned as a more kind of national strategic infrastructure issue rather than being left in the hands of um, specific shorter term um, investment returns that I, I think that's that's the kind of argument they were yeah. making to try and yeah. overcome this uh, objection yeah. simply on cost yeah i think obviously if you had a cegb it might be easier to get these centralized big mega projects uh, away if you like but that's not the case and it's not likely to be the case i, I think there was a a, a case for renationalizing some of the, of the grid but i don't think it extends quite that far in the electricity industry to make it uh, as, uh, as as centralized as that with hydro you're dead right um i think uh, when i was there the, the, the sse the scottish name for it is indeed scottish hydro they looked around the kit and i think it, they came to the conclusion that it was basically as good as the, the date was built and it was built mm. by german prisoners of war in, in the late 1940s and, and that's a long time ago but it's good for equally forward and, and if you maintain it reasonably not any great maintenance i think keep a few logs out of the uh, of the grills and things like that it's as efficient and as good as the date was built yeah so um i i, I guess i mean that would where I, I think i'd be with um wave and tidal both of them really it's hard to see well wave doesn't lend itself to kind of big gigawatt projects anyway um as far as i'm aware um tidal it's just hard to see how you're going to raise investment you're going to raise a, a business case and finance for those kind of big schemes unless they are they are basically government government supported government funded publicly owned kind of long-term national infrastructure type schemes um, and you're going to have to accept that the you get some longevity and you get some predictability but at the cost of um, a lot more expensive electricity now I mean you could argue if it's only kind of a fraction of a percent of the total electricity supply or at least a small percent of the electricity supply um, if it's expensive then in the in the grand scheme of things that that doesn't add when you average that out over the total electricity supply maybe that's not um it's not adding much cost to the the customer um but i think it would be hard to 
it's going to be hard to build those kind of things. And and so with both of them, really, because they're essentially expensive ways of producing electricity, I, I guess I'd go back to then if you're looking for where they may um may succeed or may have a future you you've got to be looking at places where electricity is expensive in the first place so i think it would be interesting to look at um smaller smaller schemes both small wave schemes and also potentially small tidal schemes um around island type situations markets where electricity is is expensive um and and so then the the, the point you're trying to compete with is slightly is slightly um, is a higher higher point, but you still obviously got to compete with other options, which would be cheaper. Um, in particular, solar and wind. Yeah, you mentioned Orkney earlier on, didn't you? And I think that was one of the early kind of uh, enthusiasts for uh, some of these uh, tech. Can't remember whether it was Wave or whether it was uh, Tidal or a combination of, uh, of both. I know there are a few projects that SSE had involvement with off the uh, off the seabed uh, there, but. Uh, they've moved and, and, and seen uh, other tech. Other tech has moved on. I particularly think of one of our favourites, which is floating offshore wind. We've done dealt with that in specific podcasts and, and elsewhere. And if floating offshore wind, which is, is quite flexible in the way perhaps that you can deploy it, can move in and uh, generate, uh, the, the cost is falling, as it, indeed for, it, it, it is indeed for offshore wind per se. Uh, you see that places like Orkney, which certainly meet the criteria and it's difficult to get a grid connection out there from the mainland it's expensive it might be using diesel um, but that in itself is now moving towards a hydrogen based economy I'm looking in Scotland next year to see just what what the synergies are with uh, with wind both orthodox fixed and also especially on, on, on floating wind we, 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 we're waiting to see what emerges with uh, with Scotland two very different supply chains two very different people behind it or uh, groups of people behind them uh, but the tech um, it will be interesting to see what emerges from Scotland. It, obviously, chances are that it will be a combination of both fixed and, and, and floating in various proportions next year. Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be interesting to watch that. Um, as I say, I, I guess if I was looking on a, <coughs> at a kind of global picture, I would, I'd kind of be sceptical as to whether the UK would end up being um, the biggest markets for these things, uh, or whether whether a lot of the development a lot of the innovation will actually happen as i say things like things like islands um smaller scale projects hybridized projects wind and wave together um potentially i'm not sure wind and tidal necessarily has such a um a fit um and as i say the then you're into as i said earlier the wave at least you can you, there are lots of places you do wave um anyway you've got wind you're going to have reasonable waves at some point tidal's a lot more a lot more localized as to where the tidal range and the tidal stream speeds are going to be sufficient um to do that so so i think i think they'll both they'll both be niche i don't i don't think they're suddenly going to become kind of world world domination sources of electricity um it'd be nice to if they had a if they had a future if they grow um it's always nice to see more variety um, but yeah, I'd be sceptical on a big scale, I'd be sceptical about big projects because of the permitting, planning, development, financing issues. Um, I'd probably be more optimistic on, on small scale projects, hybrid projects, um, and hybrid projects, particularly in markets where options are more limited. Um, so kind of islands, microgrids, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd be minded. To, I'd be minded to share that scepticism, uh, John. Coming from a, a utility uh, background, we can wait and see what traction, if any, uh, Liverpool uh, and, the, and the tidal scheme, if and when it emerges, what uh, what happens with there. I know there are a few in the Scottish 
system. There's a various hybrid type of hybrid in a different sense of using different types of tech of, of Isla and uh, Fortney and on Scotwind. Uh, I've seen various lobbying for various groups where it might work on, on, on a regional and island basis. But like you, I do share a degree of, of scepticism and, and largely, I suppose, because other tech has really kicked on. We've talked about about mm. uh, floating and hydrogen, and uh, that we've not even mentioned the high bat and battery energy storage. Is also gives other other options as well with with it with, with the with the energy storage aspect. Uh, so those perhaps are the reasons why what was a, a quite a, quite a, a vociferous lobby group. Obviously, the part of Renewable UK, which has also got the same uh, wind interests in there as well. So perhaps the voice is not even as prominent in those groups. But the uh, the taste of five rocks do indeed seem a long, long time ago. Yeah, I think from a policy point of view, the days when I think policymakers are are not going to be throwing huge subsidies at things these days because they've already got clean alternatives that don't require those huge subsidies. So it's going to be much harder to make a case as an emerging technology that um, that you deserve that <clears throat> that support. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. See how it goes. It'll be interesting to see what they say next week, uh, what the rationale is um, for the the Mersey Bay one. Oops, dog. <laughs> um, something's something's telling me we might we might yeah. have smoking enough today. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the postman. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that, I think we've summarised it quite well. I think that's a good time um, to call this one to a close. But yeah, yeah. interesting discussion. As, as ever, we'd like to thank you, the listener, for uh, for, for hearing us, and uh, we hope that you enjoyed. Our analysis of what was a quite a vibrant sector a few short years ago, uh, the, the, the renewable energy sector is so fast moving that uh, it's, it's difficult to keep up with, 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 with developments on, on floating and hydrogen and EVs and offshore electrolysis and all these things weren't around. And this is we're talking five, six years ago. They just didn't exist. And that's how quick the sector is. But we always look forward to, uh, to, your, to your comments. And if you'd like to suggest... Further topics you'd like uh, John to John and I to uh, to discuss, we'd uh, we'd welcome that as uh, as well. But uh, from me, I'd like to thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Speak to you next time. Bye.